everybody, it's Richard again, interrupting the flow of the podcast to let you know that what follows is the conclusion of our conversation with Jerry White about his upcoming film festival, Bidlings and Tapeheads, and the 20th anniversary of the movie The Matrix. If you've stumbled upon this episode by accident, pause it now, go back, download part one, and when you're done with that one, you can check back here. For all others who've ventured here specifically for part two, you're in luck. Here it is. Enjoy. I'm so excited to talk about the next ones. Um, I was an avid reader of Wired magazine. Um, and it, of course, had a huge love affair with The Matrix. And in the buildup to the sequels, I was all on board. Like, I wanted to watch the Animatrix. I read the, the think pieces and articles in Wired talking about the, the technology boost that were going to happen in the sequels. So I was like primed, ready, super excited, because um, I love that first movie so much. And we didn't just get a sequel. They filmed two sequels back-to-back. -back. They created a video game, which tied directly to the sequels. Which I read a lot about that, too. Yeah, yeah. And they, uh, they also created the animated anthology, The Animatrix. So how about we discuss the sequels and then move on to the rest? All right. Okay. <laughs> So the Matrix Reloaded. You already said that you were pumped. Very much so. You were. I, I read so much. I, I I was just so ready for this world. And much like I remember reading in Wired about the um, Star Wars prequels, mm -hmm. there was this great Wired interview with George Lucas uh, before those movies came out, and like I had total confidence and George Lucas in delivering those movies, like a lot of people. Similarly, I had total confidence. I'm like, they're going to deliver. Like, that first movie was so great with The Matrix. Uh, I read about the Burley Brawl before mm -hmm. it happened, uh, which is this, you know, um, we, you know, we managed to talk about the whole first movie without mentioning Agent Smith, the antagonist. Um, we mentioned the agents, but we didn't specifically talk about Agent Smith. Yes, go ahead. There is like a great – well, because he – obviously he becomes a much bigger character in the next two films. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean he's a great – he's a great bad guy. Uh, well, Hugo Weaving is basically scenery. scenery there. Right. I was just going to say he's a scenery chewing. It's like a lot of fun. He he's He's basically one of the agents, but he's the agent – that's the leader. We get to know him better, but he's not like, um, necessarily, you know, the Darth Vader to our Luke, um, in that, like, it's not personal between them. Uh, it's, you know, he's like just the face of the bad guys. Um, but yeah, I was, I, I, Oh, the Burly Brawl is something that, that takes place in the second film. And I remember reading about it and I just like, Yes, my expectations were high. Uh, my enthusiasm was high, but I had really total confidence that they knew what they were doing and that this was going to be like a trilogy, you know, For to the rival ages. the really to rival the original Star Wars trilogy. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and this was back in 2003. So by this time, uh, we were getting ready to experience the final chapter in the Lord of the Rings sequel mm -hmm. as well. So visual effects had evolved at such speed 
that we were already seeing these movies, these fantasy movies that were taking advantage of visual effects and using them for story, right? Like mm -hmm. you said before. So for me, I was on the hype train as well. I, I'm mm -hmm. not going to lie. I was, I was literally standing in line for two hours waiting for the doors to open uh, on the night it premiered. Now, in Puerto Rico, movies premiere on Thursday. So I was there on mm. Wednesday night for the midnight screening. <laughs> wow. And it was insane. Um, there were no reserved seatings at that time. Mm. So it was a first come, first serve. So everybody who was in line, when those doors opened, it was... Mad they, rush. Yeah, they were rushing in. They <laughs> reserving seats with your jacket. That was... Uh, oh, yeah. It was crazy. I can just imagine it. Like, like everyone's in line for popcorn. The theater is just like... 200 jackets draped over seats. <laughs> yeah. So I went with several friends. Um, they were all pumped for this movie. And coming out of the theater, you know, there was a palpable thickness in the air. I, I found myself asking too many questions, which led me to realize that what we had just witnessed was basically a really big letdown. Um, and it's something that it took, it took me a while to get over mm. because before this movie, um, I, I did get to see, uh, one of the short films in the animatrix, the final flight of the Osiris. Mm. And that got me really pumped. Um, and then coming out of this, I, I couldn't, I couldn't put my finger to what it was that wasn't jiving with me. Um, I just knew that I, it was a disappointment for me. Um, and suddenly all those giddy feelings that I wanted for movie three were gone. Mm. Um, it, and it took me a while to basically rewatch it again. Really. It sounds like a therapy session now. So, you know, it took us a while to recover. Right. Uh, yeah. But but we cared enough. And, you know, you're someone, you know, we're both filmmakers. We we both really care about film, movie, and story. And, like, um, if you're going to care, uh, if these things matter to you, then when they don't, you know, satisfy, it it, <laughs> it sucks. It hurts. Uh which is where I'm at again with, with game of Thrones or, and, and the matrix did let me down similarly. Yeah. And this movie ends in a cliffhanger, which lends itself to feel like half of a movie, which I think it is. I think reloaded and revolutions are just one movie and they just added a bunch of crap in between and split it in two. So, um, so yeah, so after you watched the movie, what what was your uh, what was your take on it? Well, this is this is what I've thought about a lot more in the in the weeks since we've discussed doing this podcast because it's it was actually I'm really glad we spent so much time talking about just the Matrix because um, that to me is just I mean if I'm rating that one out of ten, I'm just going to give that movie a ten. It just it works for me. It, it, it's it's such a great experience. I don't know too many people who are going to give the sequels a ten out of ten. Right. You just can't. You just can't. Um, and unfortunately, um, 
you know, we, this is, this is why Canon, this is become such a big thing. It's like, you know, they're the people who love star Wars that just, you know, look at the original trilogy and try to ignore the rest. Um, and the thing is this, this world of the matrix is not as, you know, they tried to spin it off into an, an entire universe. I don't think it holds up to that. It's really the story of Neo. So, just being in the world of the Matrix isn't as satisfying, I feel. And the fact for me is that the, the sequels retroactively hurt the first film. Like, there's a movie I want to compare it to, um, District 9. Mm-hmm. You saw it, right? Yeah, I have it. You liked it? Yeah, I liked it. I love that movie. That movie ends with uh, a cliffhanger. In a way, well, not a cliffhanger, but certainly like an invitation to sequels but it that, seems but, although but also although, works although as you, an ending yeah yeah that's what i was gonna say so it's an ending to the story the story ends yes yes in that movie not so much in reloaded no so so like matrix and and district nine to me have a very similar kind of ending where it feels like an ending but it allows our imagination to to yes. continue the story mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would like to have the Matrix actually ended much like District Nine. We we still haven't got a sequel to District Nine. I hope we don't. I hope we don't either, because we don't the other movies it. that um, oh that, <laughs> that he's done. That you he's... know, I haven't seen Chappie, and I and I didn't see. I've heard not, not great things. Not yeah, great. I know. So the Matrix ends with this moment, which we talked about at the top of the show, about him flying away. Yes. And so my, the thing I remember so clearly sitting in the theater watching the second Matrix film, it's, it's like one of the first scenes. Because uh, my, my question is like, how do, they, how do they follow, how do they make a whole movie when, when uh, Neo has figured out the Matrix, basically? Mm-hmm. He's transcended it. Right. He can see the code. This is how the second movie answered that right away. And I knew, sitting in the audience, I was like, uh-oh. He's in a building. And again, I, I think I've only seen the movie once. And I saw it years ago, 15 years ago, whatever it was, 16 years ago. Um, I remember him going into something, agents show up, and he's fighting with them. And it's like they're countering his punches. Again, this guy who could see the code and bend time. Mm-hmm. And in a very neo uh, Ken Reeves way, he says, upgrades. Yeah, or like, whoa, a, upgrades. Oh, huh, upgrades. And with that one word, that was how they answer it. That's how we're going to deal with him. We're just going to have, we're basically going to erase the ending of the last film, his transcendence of the code, him flying away with the line upgrades so that we can basically nerf him and continue to tell stories in this universe. And you have to accept, and they, they do that right away, because like, if you don't accept this, there's no other story to tell. From there, and I had read about this prior to seeing the movie, that they were going to introduce the idea of like vampires and ghosts as like oh, ways that... <laughs> ways <laughs> that, that the code was trying to... Uh, Wait, what, what was it? It's so convoluted. But like, yeah, prior versions of it's the Matrix. Rogue, rogue, uh, rogue programs who needed to go into exile. 
And that's what we know as ghosts and vampires and werewolves. I was on board with that in theory, like it, when I read about it in like Wired articles prior mm-hmm. to seeing the movie. It doesn't execute well. I don't care about the Merovingian. It, it, none of it. Like ultimately, my review of the second two films is like, yeah, it kind of just doesn't work for me. Uh, I thought the third one was way worse than the second one, even though, like you said, they're they're basically one movie. Um, it all just ends up watering down uh, a universe that I thought was so self-contained and well-executed. Uh, it becomes messy, bloated. Um, they destroy un- the character of Morpheus, who yeah. in, in, in the first movie, he's Obi-Wan. He's, yes. he's the guide. He's, he's yep. the one who, who follows his faith blindly. Um, and he's the teacher, right? And then he's just a chump. And the other they one should have, and they should have done like they did with Obi Wan. Then he should have died. Right. Uh, then, then our character has has lost the his mentor figure, and has to grow and learn and do this on his own. But again, they had leveled up, and I loved how they leveled up. But they ended the first movie with Neo has transcended things. So I don't know what the story is where it continues with him at that level. Mm-hmm. Um, and clearly neither did the Wachowskis. They, they had to, to walk it back in order to tell a story with any um, stakes. But to me, that undercuts the awesome ending of the first. You know, what? it reminds me of uh, a discussion I had in my previous podcast on uh, the Avengers movie hmm. where, have you seen it? Endgame? Yes. Did you see Endgame? Yes. Okay. Mm. Um, so just a minor spoiler for Endgame. Uh, so I was talking with my guest in that uh, podcast about Captain Marvel. Yes. That she's basically all-powerful, right? And they sideline her during the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Why? Because, because she's all-powerful. If they she's there, story. It, it would be done i mean right. it would be done so they have to find a, a, in my opinion a not a very organic way of getting rid of her for 90 percent of the movie yeah um and fine because she, maybe she doesn't have much to do with the original avengers story that's fine right she comes back whatever in this movie you have an all-powerful being who is your protagonist. Central, right. Um, and how are you going to sideline him? How, how are you going to find a way for him not to do everything? Because by the end, he, he's, he sees the code, like you said. He, 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 he can fight with everybody by just with his pinky, basically. Right, right, right. Um, and, it's and just, you can't say you can't wave it away with upgrades because it's an upgrade within the code that right. he supposedly has transcended. Right. So you're really just you're erasing your ending. Right. Um, OK, I said I didn't know how to how to write it. Actually, I do. This, this is what. <laughs> OK, this is what it needed to be or, or to some degree. All right. Well, Chelsea, they, they, if you're listening. This yes. Is, this if you it. ever want to reboot it, you know, the first movie, keep it as canon. Number part two. You need you you need to do exactly what you just said. How do you sideline your 
protagonists. Well, you you need to sideline them. Uh, Neo becomes an almost uh, Kurtz-like character from, uh, um, I was going to say Hearts of Darkness, but that's the book, Apocalypse Now. He needs, he's, he's taken himself off the board, or like a, a Dr. Manhattan character, um, more from the comics than from uh, the Watchmen film. Mm. He's so powerful that he's, he's not, he's above playing the game. Uh, uh, he, he's gone off. And now Trinity and maybe Morpheus, if since he's still alive, they need to reach him. But he's like, he's kind of not even human anymore in a way that we understand it. Um, and it becomes their story. Now, of course, they were never going to do this with Keanu Reeves being the lead, and mm-hmm. that they just didn't although, have the guts to do that. Although that's basically the first act of Revolutions, they have to kind of get him because yeah, I think it could be the whole movie. Um, and, and there's a compelling reason why, and maybe he turns, he, he's so alien that he's now in a way, uh, a villain or something, or maybe he then has to shed part of his godhood in order to reconnect with his humanity. Mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe, but, but just nerfing him with the word upgrades, like literally, whoa, upgrades, uh, upgrades. It, it and then it, I feel like they're like, well, people like Hugo Weaving, like Hugo Weaving's also doing great as Elrond over in the other franchise. Mm-hmm. He's he's a big star. Let's make that bigger. Um, and I like the idea in theory. Reading about the Burly Brawl, reading about him being a virus and taking over other characters sounded really cool. Um, this film failed for me in VFX, where the first one was flawless. I remember reading about the Burly Brawl, and what I wanted was photorealistic perfect and and it gets really bad and it gets to bad video game level you're shaking your head it's it's cheap looking it's oh my god okay let's let's do this so let's (laughs) let me go over matrix revolutions real quick and then we'll get Mm. to 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 the rest of our quibbles so for revolutions these by the way these movies came out six months from each other right Mm. So speculation was rampant on the internet as to how it was going to end. Um, and even though, you know, the enthusiasm for the franchise had dwindled a little bit, um, I, I did go to see it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it picks up right after Reloaded and wraps up many things, even ridiculous things started in that movie. Uh, but by the end, like you said, I was also numb. I was, well... Whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Return of the King is coming out in December, so who cares? <laughs> so that is all to say that to me, these movies are, like I said, just one story. They're split up in two. And, you know, it's really annoying for me. Uh, to, and, and, it's not, and it's not satisfying at all. You know, mm. there are these holes that you uh you want to fill with the ancillary material like the animatrix and the game the the video game um and if you're not up to speed you're lost with these movies um they don't work separately maybe mm. maybe if it's one film and you get rid of the whole the flab maybe it might work but as two movies they they just fall apart um you have, like we talked about, we have Neo who's too powerful. He flies now and he can see the code. So we already talked about how 
they sidelined him. But going going to to the point that you were saying about photorealism and this digital creation that they made, what was so fantastic about the original movie is how they were able to do all these stunts with the actors. You could see the actors. They were doing all of this. And then you get to the Burly Brawl, and it's basically you're playing a PlayStation game, right? Yeah. Remember that part? And again, I haven't seen the movie in years, but it's it's un, now now it's like unfortunately burned in my brain. I believe there's a moment where there's like some kind of pole weapon where Neo's surrounded by all the Agent Smiths and he does this like uh, walk around them, yeah. like he's running so- mm-hmm. and it's dumb, it's dumb, and it looks bad. Like like he's basically running horizontally around the pole on all of these, and everybody looks fake and digital. And I remember watching it for a moment having this thought where like is because uh, because um agent smith is taxing the matrix by infecting it is he lowering the resolution of the world like i thought for a second like this looks so bad is this a story point <laughs> like where like the more people he infects like the more like digital and and eventually everyone's going to look like an atari game mm-hmm. like uh, just pixels like in a way like i felt like they were they could have done something uh, you know, made the the poor rendering narratively relevant, and they're like, no, it's just actually just bad graphics. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and again, when they cut back to, to to Neo. He he looks fine, right? So in a world where like you've established the rules, like there, look, I still can watch you know 1960s special effect movies and and enjoy them. Mm-hmm. I get them for what they are. The original Matrix like set up the rules where like you said you see the actors doing these things like right. everything's photorealistic so when you walk that back in a sequel you've broken your contract with your audience mm-hmm. where like now you can see the seams right um and that's a real bummer <laughs> yeah bullet time in the as a digital rendering doesn't work as well as mm. as when you have Keanu Reeves actually doing the thing and the camera spinning around him, not a, a digital double. Right. And it was so clear so often when it was a digital double. Yeah. Like, we're not talking about, folks, like, oh, this hasn't aged well in the years since. No, no, no it no. didn't look good in the theater. It was terrible in the theater. <laughs> and and that's not a minor quibble when you're talking about a film that that defined itself as being uh, a special effects, you know, mastery, uh, you know, groundbreaking thing. I, if, if that burly brawl, I mean, it wouldn't have fixed the film. It has all kinds of other narrative yeah, problems, yeah, yeah. but if that scene had been photorealistic, if they had somehow pulled it off, that would have been pretty incredible. Like, um, so it fails on story and then it fails on effects. Yeah. And, and this is, I'd say that those and not only the burly brawl, some other scenes they they mm-hmm. do also have digital doubles and they look terrible. But it's a symptom of what we were talking way before, um, and it's the same symptoms that the Hobbit movies suffer from and the mm, prequels gosh, suffer from, yeah. where with the original movies of these particular franchises, they had budgetary 
constraints, right? Mm-hmm. So now those movies have been so successful, right? That when they say, okay, so here's money for sequels or prequels, they have all the money in the world, so let's just do everything. Bigger becomes better, and actually bigger is worse. Right. You're right. The the It is totally fair to compare the Matrix sequels to The Hobbit and to the Star Wars prequels, and to some extent the like latest Star Wars films, um, but where you know, it used to be you could have like unimpressive fight choreography between Darth Vader and Obi-Wan in the first Star Wars film. But that scene matters because we care about that character. It's not about them jumping around or flashing around. Like that scene totally works. Mm-hmm. Then by you know the the third Star Wars prequel, you have like that weird robot general grievous crap character spinning what five six lightsabers they're all different colors and there's a billion characters in the background and like nothing matters like there's no stakes there's it's yeah sound and fury signifying nothing and then with the hobbit it's like the you know why are the orcs digital i don't get it ah they're digital and and like they just you can barrel over a hundred of them and it doesn't matter physics doesn't matter yeah Again, in a world where you have previously in the Lord of the Rings uh, established like, you know, things are visceral, things matter, like one orc matters, is dangerous. Um, Yeah, and gore doesn't work, at least for me. Uh, Even though these are PG-13 movies, the hmm. the Hobbit movies, you still get several orcs that get their heads chopped off, right? Yeah. And just for me, that type of gore doesn't work well when it's digital. It just, yeah. just doesn't feel organic. Um, no. in, in those uh, in the Lord of the Rings movies, you get those orcs and they're <clears throat> excuse me, they're masks. They're yes. they're latex masks, and you can you can basically feel them coming through, right? Mm-hmm. And um, when you get these digital creations um, and they look as bad as they do in the Hobbit you kind of lose interest. Um, right. You don't feel like they're there, so why should you care if any if any one of these die? Right. No, for sure. And so, you know, the if the first Matrix film, you know, unites, you know, solid casting and performance with tight script and storytelling and groundbreaking special effects, like this film just like, I guess the performances are, are similarly fine. Um, it's not like I see anyone, uh, you know, breaking character or, or, or performing worse, but again, in service of a story that's not as strong, not as tight. Um, it's, it's like they cared more about expanding the world again and introducing this idea of vampires and ghosts, which is just, it's dumb. Yeah. Can I just say it's dumb? You can you can you can say well in, in reloaded you have action scenes and, and set pieces that are there to you know give us a jolt and not let us basically fall asleep right between moments uh, 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 when characters are, are chattering about what they could do and, and what they were meant to do um, in the matrix those particular action set pieces are not for padding because they serve right. to move the plot forward and and reloaded has a f- fantastic uh, uh car chase scene yeah yeah the highway and it's 
great, um, but it's it's it, it's a MacGuffin, right? Because they're carrying right. this keymaker guy and <sighs> <laughs> just saying the keymaker, the keymaker, the architect. <laughs> it's like all this dumbness, and you know, even the you know the the philosophy that's introduced in the first Matrix, like one might kind of shrug it off as being like pseudo deep or whatever but it was in i feel just enough especially for a mainstream hollywood blockbuster like it was it was deep enough to be in intriguing and and um i don't know left you thinking and maybe could be introducing people to some deeper thoughts Mm -hmm. if if they're younger whatever in the first movie in the second and third movie, like, I mean, the, the blathering on of the architect and free will and choice, like now it's just like anyone who wants to critique the first film has ample uh, ammunition because it goes over the top and, mm. and gets dumb. And like, it really does become pseudo intellectual instead of just intellectual. Yeah, it, 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 at certain points, it feels even condescending, right? Yeah. The architect talks so long. He's just, it's just, we get to the scene and it's just constant talking. And like you said, we get exposition in The Matrix, the first film. We're learning stuff as Neo's learning it and we care. Mm. Granted, we're, I guess we're also learning stuff at the end of the movie, but it's like, it's just garbage at that point. His choice to go beyond the door, not, it's just at that point, like, who is this guy? Why do I care? No. All right. So moving on. <laughs> <laughs> With our lives. Mm-hmm. Yes. Moving on. Moving on. Uh, so the Animatrix, um, I think the DVD came out between Reload and Reload. I'm not, I'm not sure about the timeline on that. Yeah. Um, I bought the DVD as well. Um, and I think, and I think that was a, a bold statement from them, from the Wachowskis. Um, cause in part, it sort of asserted their knowledge of this universe they they created. Um, so the animatrix is an animated anthology made from notes from the Wachowskis regarding the mythology of their universe. And they were all directed by someone different and filmed in different anime styles. Um, and they explore different aspects of the Matrix universe, um, be it na- the nature of AI or virtual reality or self-awareness, magic, um, willpower. Um, and then there's also one of them, like I said, uh, that ties directly to Reloaded, which is the final fight of the Osiris. And there we get to see a group of the resistance on a doomed mission to go inside the matrix and deliver this message to the Oracle. Um, this one was played in theaters. I saw it in the theaters because unfortunately I went to see Dreamcatcher, the movie and it wow. played, it played right before Dreamcatcher. <laughs> really? So, so it was worth it just to, yeah. just to see this short. Um, and this was one of the big reasons why I was pumped to see Reloaded because I was really into this uh, short film. But from all the uh, from all the shorts in the Animatrix, I don't know if you've seen. Have you seen the Animatrix? I I, I remember seeing at least some of them on a on a flight. 
Okay. Uh, and finding them interesting, I, I may have seen all of them or not, but they didn't really stick with me. Okay, so for me, the most important uh, short, which is divided into two parts, is The Second Renaissance. And it shows what happened many years before the events of, of movie one, The Matrix, the original, and what led them to where they are now. Mm. We, see, we see basically the other side of the coin, how humans used to abuse robots and, and treat them like... Uh, like oh, I remember citizens. that. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. So um, once they gained AI, uh, humans couldn't grapple with the fact that they had the same desires and wants and feelings as humans do. So humans did what they often do with something that scares them. They, they try to subjugate it, and in the end, they try to eliminate them, right? Um, but then war to these machines... It's not the same as for us, right? Because they're not organic like us. So they can survive a chemical blast or a biological holocaust or whatever. So, you know, for me, this film feels like a mishmash of uh, a Blade Runner and AI artificial intelligence and a little bit of Terminator in there to maybe spice mm -hmm. things up. I really like that short. Um, yeah. And so this is my dream scenario. You, you, you get The Matrix, right? Movie one. And then movie two is some form of what the second renaissance is. And so then, a prequel, essentially. Right, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you finish it off with a, a, a leaner mix of Reloaded and Revolutions. So you just get rid of all the ridiculous things from both movies and just make one coherent thing. Right, because um, I feel like I've said before that calling Reloaded and Revolutions two and three of a trilogy is not entirely accurate. You know, you you, you cut all the BS from Reloaded, all the needless fights, uh, make Neo vulnerable, and get rid of this character called Kid, who's really annoying. It's like I, oh my god, I forgot about that until just now. Didn't even remember the. You know, this actually, I, I forgot something important earlier in talking about, you know, how do we follow up with Neo when he's so overpowered in episode one and flies away? I, I forgot about the fact that, yeah, he's overpowered in the Matrix. So the other way is to focus on him in real life and them going after him without all of his powers, which they do touch upon, mm -hmm. obviously. But explain to me... Why is it that he's able to affect things in the third movie in our reality? Does it break their rules? Because I like the fact that their rules made sense before. And now, doesn't he have superpowers in the real world? Mm -hmm. How? <laughs> um, so that question has been on my mind ever since I saw... Uh, revolutions uh, I'm, I'm sorry the end of reloaded and i've never i've never had a a satisfactory answer to that because if it means that he's still in another level of the matrix mm -hmm. you know like a, like a that they, they never really pay that off that it's a simulation within a simulation. And if it is in our world, it is not explained how that, like I can buy like that agent Smith can infect like a virus, like take over a real world human. Mm -hmm. I can buy that. Um, if our brain are, is code, sure. 
but I don't know that they've established in their rule set that that Neo would be able to affect the real world. And I don't think that they really if, – if he's inside a simulation and inside a simulation or whatever, then I think that undercuts no, well, the power of the story they're telling. Here's what I, th- I think in, 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 the, um, in the conversation with the architect, he tells him that the one was created right by the machines right and he's an anomaly right so maybe because he was created by the machines and he was able to tap into the code in matrix one that's how he can maybe manipulate the machines in the real world this is me just uh, uh, spitballing right now i uh, well he doesn't does he affect anything in the real world that's not the machines does he does he like like Luke have the force and like lift inanimate no rocks or no. shit okay because no. that would literally that would that would break it even no, more. no 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 he just has the ability to shut down the the machine spite spider machine right things yeah well I guess then the fact that um like we said like they established that a code can get into a human in the form of uh, Smith uploading in, into a human consciousness yeah maybe real world neo is able <laughs> you're shaking your head with your mind blown yeah i know I, I it's think not that's, as clean i, I think that's yeah. one of my biggest quibbles with with reloaded the whole uh, uh, agent smith getting inside a, a real person just give me a break man <laughs> seriously seriously um so so with with reloaded if you get the architect to, to speak in simple english right instead of ser- saying uh, ergo or or yeah. or concordantly um what the architect basically has to say is neo i know you you're the sixth generation of this anomaly right you have a choice to save trinity or zion what will it be period that's it um but that, like I said, that uh, that whole scene is so condescending, not only yeah. to Neo, but to the audience. Uh, it sort of alienates us and to a point where, in my case, I didn't give a crap. Yeah. Um, so anyway, just... And then, that, that I mean, be... the, the, the heavy Christ metaphor stuff that, that it becomes is again a little eye rollingly like on the nose and yeah. Well, if you compare this scene to the exposition dump Morpheus gives us in movie one, it's completely different. I mean, mm. in when Morpheus gives us the battery explanation, um, again, we're seeing everything through Neo's eyes, right? But yeah. It's so much more engaging. Uh, we're discovering this uh, not only by hearing it, but visually. And then yeah. this scene with the architect is so bland, so flat, and boring. Yeah. Um, oh, super boring. Super boring. So we're going to get hate, yeah. hate mail from, from Matrix lovers. <laughs> <laughs> there, hey, 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 Matrix lovers. We love the first movie. So we're with you there. It, it just, it, it loses us. Uh, and you know, I didn't know this going in how you felt about the sequels. So we did end up on a somewhat similar place. What I think is interesting is that like 
you know, Star Wars survived the prequels. Like, like, I mean, and there's some people who like the prequels. I, I think they're outnumbered. My kids love the prequels. See? Yeah. So, um, and I think that those movies were aimed at kids um, more. But, uh, you know, you have the new Star Wars films, and they're just going to probably make Star Wars films forever. The Matrix has not turned out to be as, you know, resilient. Like, it made those – like, they certainly had the hopes for it. Like, this could be a world – to explore. And I think that's why they started branching off to like vampire stories and ghost stories Mm -hmm. that that's, it seems potentially workable on paper, but I guess the the problem with the matrix or, or the, the, the thing is it, we cared about the story of, of Neo. We cared about humanity getting free. Um, anything else is just like exploring a world where like people are enslaved and that's just not fun. Like, once you conquer the matrix, we're kind of done with the story. Do you see a way for, I mean, do you see more matrix films ever happening more, or is this just like a closed loop? Well, there could be just not in the whole Neo canon. Um, I, th- yeah. I think that story's done. I hope it's done. Right. But do we care about another story if it's not the Neo canon? Like, is it... Well, maybe. Cause like I said, in that short, film the second renaissance neo's not there at all we don't have Mm. any of the characters that we know but the story is so compelling um that i think it could work um anything Mm. after i don't know well then it becomes my problem with prequels in that we know where the story ultimately ends um and i think like this will be interesting with you know the Lord of the Rings show that they're making mm-hmm. or these game of Thrones prequels. Like really, I don't really care that much about prequels. It's, it's really hard to get me on board. Um, although in the case that you said, like a, a finite story, like, uh, you know, that tells about the rise of the robots or, you know, the Hobbit, even though those movies aren't good, like that story was written first and it's a great self-contained story that happens before Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. But once you've told the, the story to end all stories, uh, which Game of Thrones is um, and Lord of the Rings is, I don't know how you go back because we've just we've. Here's a question. How do you feel about Prometheus? Oh, I, I'm not a fan. Not a fan? Why? No. Uh, there's a lot of dumbness in those movies yeah. that, yeah. that I hate. Like, like uh, and I know that the internet talked about it a lot. Like these, you know, scientists that see. Like the snake scene. You know, the snake scene. Uh-huh. That, or, or like take their helmet off in, uh-huh. in these alien worlds. Okay, but, like, uh, but aside from that, the concept of, of uh, Prometheus being part of of the alien universe but not tying directly to alien i think that that could have yeah that could have worked for me because i i saw that movie in the theater like i was on board i just didn't like the story they told Mm -hmm. and the way they told it but it being in like i guess much like what they're going to be doing now with the star wars movies which Okay, the Skywalker saga is done. We're just going to tell you another story. We'll see if it works. I think Alien actually allows for more stuff because it's just sci-fi. Like it's just 
it can be in a world where we don't see the xenomorphs, but it's just a similarly real, realistic, hard side yeah, film. I think my, my, film. my biggest quibble with Prometheus was shoehorning that xenomorph in that movie. And right. I mean, ultimately, aside, aside just, from the ridiculousness yeah. of the scientists, um, yeah. but I was on board with, and I still am. I like, I like that movie. Um, I think uh, I saw it on IMAX, so the sense of scale when I saw it mm. was great. Um, I like the, the the music is really good. Uh, visually, it's very interesting, and the way that they developed the character of David. David is it? The... But I I don't need any of that to be really a prequel like i like hard sci-fi one of my favorite shows right now is the expanse if you're not into it you got to get into it i i Um, i haven't seen it but i know i know the Expanse. it's on amazon oh man it is now yeah you gotta watch the expanse it is it is a great show and it's going into its fourth season and the first three seasons totally deliver i love it so prometheus like you said you're bothered by the xenomorph being shoot in shoehorned in yeah like this could just have been a different story that's a a sci-fi story and it would have been fine, like totally fine. Like we just didn't need it to be. Um, but yeah, it, it ultimately like did not. And I didn't even see the, the sequel to that. What was that called? Uh, I, I saw parts of it, it. It's not good. That's it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's uh, half of it is, is okay. But then the last half is terrible. Um, Anyway, anyway, anything else? Any any other thoughts on on the Matrix as a whole? Um, let me think. I I really am glad that we had the experience of it. And, you know, even the, the the crappy sequels, like it's interesting from a storytelling standpoint. For me, I'm learning more and more. Like I want to tell finite stories. Um, oh. Uh, Harry Potter universe, right? Like, tell us a f- whole story. I don't care about these. These beasts are not that fantastic, and I don't care where you find them. Um, and I don't care about the the canonical play that that has grown up Harry. Like, I'm I'm happy we got the Matrix, and I can even appreciate the sequels for what they attempted to do and expanding a universe. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, it's ex- it uh, exposed the limitations. Like some stories are not sandboxes from which you can tell a million different genre stories. Some stories begin and end and that's good. Like, and I want more of those. All right. Um, so even though we didn't touch on the philosophies, uh, these movies have, we just kind of skimmed over it. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's, this is a good place to end things. All right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, um, Again, to all our listeners, be on the lookout for Vidlings and Tapehead Film Festival, which is when, when was it? It's at the end of June. Okay. Uh, last weekend of June in Michigan. So if you're anywhere in the Midwest, it's it's a great destination. Like come out to the fest. Um, and here in LA, uh, we might be having uh, Vidlings and Tapeheads next year. So if you're here. Keep an eye out for that. All right. You can also check out Jerry's uh, documentary, 20 Years of Madness, on Amazon Prime. Jerry, where can people find your work on social media? Uh, so I've been uh, cutting back social media a little bit. Um, like Neo, I'm looking to get out of the Matrix <laughs> somewhat. 
So I actually have deleted my Twitter. Uh, I never got that deep into it. So I just decided I'm going to pause that. My uh, Instagram is private. However, the Film Fest, you can follow okay. and still reach me. So the handle is vidlings and tapeheads, uh, all one word. Um, and you'll find that by Googling or, or searching. Um, we've got some good stuff on Instagram and our Facebook page. But me personally, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a step back <laughs> right. a little from it. Okay. Well, you can find us on Twitter at Media Review Pod. That's Media R-E-V-U-E Pod. And you can send us emails with questions, comments, or suggestions to MediaReviewPod at gmail.com. You can also leave a voice message by calling 407-603-5847. Please don't forget to subscribe to our feed and rate and review the pod. Jerry, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank really you. loved it. Thanks for having me on. This was great. It was great nerding out with you again. It's been too long. Well, I hope we can do this again, man. Absolutely. All right. And to all our listeners out there, go and make something. Express it. Live it. Feel it. But please, please, don't forget to breathe. Till next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>